Hi, this is Andrea Smartin, host of Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Normally, we drop new episodes every Tuesday, but this holiday week, we're pausing the main six-part series to bring you a taste of our bonus content. You'll find episode five here next week. In the bonus episodes, we try to answer the question, what can one person do? We've been having deep conversations with people about how they've made that transformation from stranger to trusted friend and how those relationships can change lives. You know, deploying to Afghanistan, kind of exploring this uh, new terrain that um, women had not formally been exposed to. I was quite nervous and I just, I felt an extreme sense of fear that I would not do right by them. On today's bonus episode, we talked to a U.S. Army veteran who was a trailblazer for women in the military. Rebecca Edmondson did four tours in Afghanistan, participating in a groundbreaking Army unit called the Cultural Support Team. CSTs were the first women to assist U.S. Special Forces on combat missions, normally only open to men. In this role, Rebecca trained and worked with Afghan women soldiers, known as the Female Tactical Platoon. We heard about how CSTs worked with FTPs like SEMA in Episode 3 of the podcast, and how they formed an organization called Sisters of Service. But I wanted to have a more in-depth conversation about what these women from different worlds had to overcome before they came to think of each other as sisters. Today, Rebecca works in a role created specifically to assist FTPs now living in the U.S. as a program manager at the PenFed Foundation. But in this interview, Rebecca gets honest about her struggles building trusting relationships with her Afghan counterparts. Her work in the Army and as a CST was harrowing and stressful, often conducting night raids on Afghan compounds. This was where her work with the FTPs began. We were flying in on a helicopter and getting very close to the bad guy's house. We would have to rappel out and make sure we didn't get lost in the sauce as they're sprinting to the compound. They would introduce us to the women and the children that would hopefully come out of the compound. Um, you know, they, they tried to get people to come out uh, willingly when we would ask them to. Oftentimes that didn't play out that way. And so um, there were varying levels of of intensity any given night. And so it was our role as the, the token woman on target to go up to these other women and first assess, you know, the level of security that we had, uh, making sure there were no weapons or explosives or things that they were hiding, because that was often the case. Um, guys would pass things that they didn't want us to find to the wives and the mothers and the daughters, because uh, they didn't think that we would put our hands on them and, and go looking for it. And so our, that was our first um, order of business. And then once we completed that step, we then would start talking to them and, you know, collecting intelligence. And that's what the FTPs did as well. That's what we were there training um, them for to, to basically take over for us when we were no longer there. So I was not only responsible for myself and how I could be an asset to those teams, but I, I needed to ensure that um, the FTPs were also effective. It was wild. 
So, so what does that look like on the ground? I mean, it's brand new for you, brand new for the FTPs. Give us a sense of what that's like and what it feels like. So I was scared in of itself as a, as a woman deploying to Afghanistan, kind of exploring this uh, new terrain that um, women had not formally been exposed to. I was quite nervous and I just, I felt an extreme sense of fear that I would not do right by them. And uh, it was hard to, to get over that in the beginning. I don't, I don't think that we got along or meshed very well in the very beginning. Why was that? There was a lot of ignorance on my part. I think most military on the U.S. side often went to Afghanistan with a lot of preconceived notions. And I was certainly one of them. It took me, you know, time to get over those um, ideas about not just the FTPs, but, you know, the, the, the entire Afghan partner unit that we were working with. And, you know, point blank, there's just a lot of cultural differences that um, in my mind, I thought was a barrier to uh, us, you know, connecting on a, on a personal level. And what was your impression of the obstacles that they had to overcome? And did you really believe they could do it? I was definitely skeptical, like most people that I was working with at the time. I think the program, the FTP program was kind of considered like a wild card. Is this going to be successful? Are Afghan men, especially that serve in special forces units, are they going to be accepting of not just women like myself, but Afghan women to enter the scene and start working very closely with them. So that was, I think, my biggest uh, fear that those types of relationships um, wouldn't wouldn't forge and that there would be a lot of pushback from specifically the um, male Afghan military. So you were skeptical. It wasn't clear if it was going to work. It was hard to mesh with the FTPs. You were overcoming a lot of challenges yourself. Did anything change? I mean, you you worked, so you worked with the FTPs between 2012 and 2016. So that's several years. How did your relationship evolve over time? There was a lot of, of growing pains, to be honest. It took me, you know, those additional deployments to learn from my previous mistakes. Um, I'll, I'll own it as that. I definitely treated them as more of subordinates in the beginning, thinking that basically that they were my responsibility. So, uh, you know, I, it, it looked a lot more like I was telling them, them to do this, that, and the other, even though I wasn't technically, you know, within their leadership. You know, I was U.S. military, they were Afghan military, but I was the only real um, leader, per se, in their lives or in their, in their occupation that took ownership of them. Uh, in the beginning, their male counterparts really honestly didn't want to have anything to do with it. So it was put on the backs of us as CSTs to be responsible for them, to ensure that they knew what they were doing out, you know, on mission and uh, that they came back, you know, along with us. And so, uh, so yeah, it was, 
it was a, an interesting dynamic that I had to learn from how not to do it. So giving, I mean, that just sounds so challenging to me and almost maybe not functional at first. What had to change? Like, how did you make it work? Well, for me, what had to change is taking a, a, a hard look at myself and um, realizing that the manner of which I had treated them, I had made them feel somehow less than during the second time I, I traveled over there to uh, to deploy. I was told by a, a colleague of mine that they that that I was there to replace that uh, some of the FTPs had expressed a lot of, of concern for the fact that I was coming back, more or less that they weren't very excited to work again with me. And so that was like a punch to the gut. I felt like in order to squash that and for us to be able to work together over the next six or nine months, however long I ended up being there, I needed to kind of confront that head on and find out what it was that I had done wrong to to cause them to feel that way about me. And so it took, really, that was a turning point for me. It was a difficult conversation. Um, you know, there were, there were tears that were shed between us, but um, it helped me to understand things from their point of view and how I could do better. And it made me want to become better um, just significantly over time. Yeah, I imagine that trust is critical when you're, lives are on the line in the work that you're doing. So how did you, did you, were you able to, to build that trust to form some sort of bond? Well, I certainly tried more so in the following deployments. You know, the, the first time I was in Afghanistan as a CST, I was all business. Um, I didn't try to become friends with the FTPs. I didn't break bread or have meals or anything like that with them. It was just, you know, you show up when you need to for work. And if we're going to have training, you know, you're not late type of thing. But there weren't any real bonds formed. You know, following that and, and learning those types of lessons about the way that they had felt about me and the way that I had treated them, it made me really want to change. And thinking about, you know, this doesn't have to all be business, all work and no play. And so even though in the beginning it was a little taboo, uh, I started suggesting things like, hey, instead of, you know, going to the gym and working out tonight, uh, let's let's go and, and do some driver's training. Many of them had never um, driven a vehicle or they'd never driven a manual vehicle. So to be able to put them behind uh, the wheel and just let them drive around a military base. It was fun. You know, it was, it was a, a whole new dynamic that I never experienced with them before. And, you know, that developed in other things, you know, we'd, we'd watch movies or just spend, you know, quality time together. And so I started making a, a, a lot more effort to figure out what it was that would make them feel more comfortable. I mean, they were deployed too. They were away from their families. They were, um, you know, they, they were living a life on a military installation where they were the only, you know, Afghan women in a sea of, of American military. So I started thinking about things like that and, and um, trying to figure out what I could do to make their lives a little um, less miserable. I mean, I'm just trying to imagine what that's like for them. That's, that's a complete 
sort of identity shift to be able to do that right. And it's also very dangerous for them. I don't know how to explain that. I mean, they're, they're just a different breed. I try not to put people on a pedestal. I know that, you know, inherently everyone's the same worth and value, but I've just never met another group of human beings that have that type of um, bravery and, you know, willingness to confront difficult situations. And, um, you know, they're they're not fearless, you know, they're they're human beings just like the rest of us, but their ability to um, approach that fear and, you know, confront, you know, very real hurdles um, as just a woman in in Afghan society, they just... uh, they just took all of those hurdles and plowed right through them. So, so what, what do you do in your current position and why did you want to take this on? So my, my current role, I, um, I'm a program manager with the PinFed Foundation. Um, the foundation stood up a special program specifically to assist the women of the female tactical platoon um, in their resettlement. So what I, what I do on a day to day basis really varies depending on the needs of the families. And it's changed over time pretty dramatically from when they first got here to, um, what that looks like today. But I felt like it was almost my duty to be of support to them. I never stopped thinking about them, uh, as far as what their future might look like once the United States military was no longer around to support and advocate for them. So um, really, it just seemed like a natural fit for me to uh, actually find myself in a role where I, I, I was working and I was actually getting paid to, to do this type of, of advocacy. So you have been reunited with women, the women that you met in Afghanistan? Oh yeah, all every last one of them. I've I've had the opportunity to see um, forty three of the FTP since they arrived. Yeah, something that struck me in reporting on this podcast is how a small number of people are bearing the weight and responsibility for for Afghan lives and for decisions made by our government in our name. For all of us, most Americans don't see what you see or feel the pressure of those personal commitments that you've made. Have you ever felt just overwhelmed doing this work? Does it get too heavy? Often I do. And I think it's, it's relevant to point out that for me, I am blessed to have a, uh, an organization that believes so much in this group of women and um, what they've accomplished and wanting to, to support and stand by them, that I have this mechanism of, you know, an ability to impact and support them that, you know, I would say the majority of, of those that are supporting, you know, Afghan people that came here, uh, they don't have that, that uh, mechanism of support. And so I'm, I'm always reminding of myself and um, my leadership and others that I, I feel very blessed and I just hope that it, it catches on. There's other organizations that step up and recognize the value in not just helping, you know, Afghan refugees, but helping us to help them uh, because it is a big um, weight to carry, you know, but, 
but there's really no choice in the matter. You know, you carry it even if it gets heavier and heavier because it's it's yours to carry. So it's been two years since these FTPs had to drop what they were doing and leave home. How are they doing now? I would say much better than before. Um, You know, obviously it was, everyone was in shock. And I think, you know, that just takes time to, to start to wear off. You know, there, there's, they've been kicking ass, you know, they've been going to English classes. Many of them are, you know, as close to fluent as you can get for, you know, only having studied English for, you know, two years. I still find myself, you know, pinching myself thinking like they're, I can't believe that they're really here in the United States. And so I try to imagine like what that must feel like for them. You know, this whole time has really been about grieving and it still, it still is. Um, despite my knee jerk reaction to wanting to like run up and, and, you know, swallow them in my arms and hug, hug on them. The second that I saw them in the United States, I, I, I understood very quickly that that wasn't appropriate. Um, that sort of the display of, of any kind of celebration or, um, joy in some capacity, you know, it wasn't appropriate at the time. I will say that almost two years later that um, that has changed a good bit that we're finding, you know, opportunities to to laugh and to enjoy each other's company. And, you know, a lot of that is is thanks to, you know, my my work um, and having opportunities like going to the Washington Nationals ball game and the FTPs going on to the field and being recognized by a stadium full of people. Um, those are the moments that I just, I completely cherish. And um, that's what makes it better, to be honest. Thanks to Rebecca Edmondson of the PenFed Foundation for joining us. As of this recording, Rebecca tells me of the 43 FTPs in the U.S., so far 13 have been granted asylum. For more information about how to support the women of the female tactical platoon, visit penfedfoundation.org. This bonus episode was produced by me, Andrea Smartin, and Nina Ernest. Mixing by Trent Sell. Cheryl Worsley is our executive producer. Thanks for subscribing to Bonus Content. It helps fund our work on more podcasts like this. If you could also give us a rating and write a review, it will help more people discover the show. And if you like us, tell your friends. For more on Stranger Becomes Neighbor, please visit our website, strangerbecomesneighbor.com. Thanks for listening. Stranger Becomes Neighbor is a production of KSL Podcasts. 